Chapter 3, Part 1 of The Life of Clara Barton, Volume 2, by William Barton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3, Part 1 Her Illness Following the Franco-Prussian War there are few letters and no diary during the winter of eighteen seventy one and eighteen seventy two clara barton was at karlsruhe endeavoring to recover from nervous overstrain and learning to write without much use of her eyes she supposed that she had finished her work for french relief but a letter from a boston committee informed her that they still had funds for this purpose and were not having good success in the matter of local distribution they begged her to take charge of what remained of their working fund almost blinded though she was she set out in winter and traversed again a route that had become familiar to her through mulhausen Montbillard, and Strasbourg. Her work for woman was still going on, and she gave it substantial encouragement and repeated her Christmas banquet of the preceding year in a New Year's Eve banquet at Strasbourg. She arranged for the continuation of the work in a way that did not pauperize the women. Then she returned to Karlsruhe and spent the remainder of the winter. Our chief knowledge of her oversight of these activities, as well as of her living arrangements during this period, is contained in a letter to her sister Sarah. She had been living in a hotel, but had taken lodgings of her own, had a little maid to wait on her, and was able to get a breakfast to her liking, which was beefsteak and baked potato instead of the continental breakfast of hard rolls and a gallon of coffee the beefsteak for breakfast is interesting because clara barton ate comparatively little meat she never however became a strict vegetarian even in her old age she now and then indulged in the luxury of a good thick beefsteak but this was exceptional her meals, as a rule, were severely frugal and mostly vegetable. Karlsruhe, last day of January, 1872. Dear sister, I believe I can write you a readable letter without looking on at all. I have used my eyes pretty much of late, and they complain so sadly of my bad treatment that I have decided to give them a rest and not write any more at present, but, as I don't know how long the rest must continue, I don't want you to wait without news of me for an indefinite period. I want to tell you that I did receive your good long letter, and was exceedingly glad of it. It had been a little age that I had not heard of you. I must write without a reference to your letter, for I could not read it today. My poor eyes ache too badly for that. It was long ago that I wrote you, I believe. I don't know if I have written since the 25th of November, when I remember to have done so. If not since, I have never told you anything of my going to Montbelliard, 
to give something to the poor people there who suffered so much by the war. I went from Karlsruhe about the middle of December and the coldest time we have had in all the winter. It was fearfully cold. Miss Margot went with me. It was a day and a half's travel, and some of the way it was so cold in the train I dared not let Miss Margot fall asleep. I knew she was exceedingly cold, and I kept her awake through precaution. We spent the first night at Mulhausen with Mr. and Mrs. Dolphus, French people of literary note, whom I have known during all the war. Next day we went to Belfort and passed the night and Sunday with the administrator, Monsieur Le Bleu, and arranged some trunks I had left there in October, and Monday morning we went to mont and called on the prefect, a Jew, to whom I had previously made a donation of money, and informed him that I wanted to make the next donation in person. I wished to see, therefore, myself. He was very amiable, and would arrange it, and I left him to do so while I went still on to Bessacon to see the prefect of Daubes. Here it was so cold and cheerless I could not sleep at night, and returned next day. I was made the guest of the noble families of the town, for mont was an old court town, and the grandmother of the Tsar of Russia was a princess of mont so they still have relics of royalty there and a pretty old castle. I found excellent arrangements for taking care of the poor, the best I have seen in all France. They have committees of both gentlemen and ladies, and the president of the ladies' committee is a Mrs. Morel, a person so much like Mrs. Greffing that I feel as if I had really seen Mrs. Greffing and worked with her a few days this winter. They assembled in their hall and called their poor there, and they came in hundreds and waited in a long line or two long lines, reaching from the doors away through the yard and down the snowy street. At the suggestion of Mrs. Morell, I gave them orders for wood and rent, so that the husbands could not compel the women to give up their money to them to get drunk on and abuse the family. We wrote hundreds of orders, I signed them, and then we went to the hall and received the women. They were my woman then. I admitted them, and gave them the order, and took in the next, and so day after day, till all was done. The orders were drawn immediately, and when I left just before Christmas, all the poor had wood for two months, and rent paid until the first of April. They looked so poor, but were so happy at such an unexpected fortune, and I was so glad to have been able to do it. It was Boston that did this good little thing. I have written the committee about it, a long letter. I thought they would be glad to know it while the fires were still burning. Then I came back, and I wanted to go to Strasbourg and give something to my old working woman there. 
they would not be so poor as the woman of mont for much had been done for them, but I wanted to see and remember them, and so I said I would go. I invited Miss Zimmerman to go with me, as she helped me to organize the Strasburg work last year. I said I would not give anything in charity to these women. I had not permitted them to beg. They had always worked for me and been paid. I would give them a Christmas fete and invite them like other people. So we bought two splendid pine trees, fresh from the black forest, and I knew all my women, so I had only to count the heads and buy purses. I purchased three hundred good strong Morocco purses with steel clasps, prettily lined, and pretty little things for the children, and to ornament the trees many dozens of little wax candles and holders to light the trees. I had stopped at Strasbourg on my way back from mont and hired the best hall in town for Saturday night, the 30th December. On Wednesday night we went to Strasbourg, had our invitations printed and sent to the women by post. Then I ordered at a good bakery twenty cakes. I cannot tell you how large and high. Each cake would cut from twenty to twenty-five slices, big slices, and five hundred rolls, and I took a caterer I knew there to arrange chocolate and coffee. The hall had a fine kitchen and dining rooms, and I asked the banks to change my money into the last issue of French silver, never used, and they did. The best ladies of the city came to help us, and the trees were set, the purses filled, the hall arranged, the tables spread and set so white and clean, and oh, the trees were so pretty, on a long platform across all one end of the hall, in front of two enormous mirrors, and all the floors spread with moss, all scattered full of fine-cut white paper and isn't glass, which made perfect snow and ice, and brightened with handfuls of little scarlet berries. And the hall was so brilliant with chandeliers and mirrors that one could read the finest print in its most distant corner. I tell you all this so particularly because I think it was the prettiest thing I ever saw. Don't say it was that that made my eyes sore. It wasn't. The hour was seven. At 6.30, the women began to arrive. Mr. Kruger, vice Counsel from America, received and seated them in the anteroom till it was time to light the trees. I had not seen them yet and did not know that so many were there but someone came to tell us that our little wounded children had come, and we went to that room to see and welcome them. When we entered the doorway, all these hundreds of women rose up before us like an army, not a word, still like so many soldiers, and stood for us to pass. At seven, the trees were lighted and the doors opened and all this regiment of women walked in and took seats. A fine parlor organ stood under the trees, 
a Christmas hymn was struck, and these poor women, in the fullness of their hearts, joined in a burst of song such as I never heard before. They sang as if they meant God should know how glad they were, and how grateful they were to be there. Then there was prayer, an address of welcome, I wouldn't have them instructed, and then Mr. Kruger and your sister went under the trees upon the platform where all the purses hung. There were elegant ladies to take them down from the trees and hand them to me while Mr. Kruger called each woman's name, and she came up and gave her hand to me, and I put in it a purse of silver with her name and a pretty buff card attached to it. Then the ladies took her round to see the trees, and to sign her name at a table presided over by the Mrs. Rausch of Strasburg Boarding School. Afterward they were taken to the refreshment room, and the daughters of the clergymen of the city, with Miss Zimmerman at the head, received and served them to chocolate and all the good things. And then they did talk and laugh and cry for joy, and such a time hundreds of poor women, almost beggars, I think never had. It was worth going a mile to see. All this time Mr. Kruger and I were giving the gifts, but when it was done I went and ate with them. Then I came back and gave the gifts to my eleven cutters, ten pretty young girls and one tailor. I gave them work-boxes and portfolios, etc. And then the Comité de Sequois had arranged a little surprise for me, which the women enjoyed exceedingly. M. Bergman, my old esteemed friend, the president of the syndicate of Alsace, addressed the women, and they all crowded up around the front of the platform like so many children to listen to him. He told them, among other things, that Miss Barton had said she wished they would all keep the money in the little purses as a keepsake, and make it the beginning of a sum for the savings bank, which would reopen next week. Having told them this, he said to them, so pleasantly and familiarly, I think we ought to make her this promise, eh? You should have heard the storm of yes, yes, we will, that filled the room. This finished the evening, only their goodbye to me, which each one insisted on making for herself. This occupied almost an hour, till the last one was gone and then it was past eleven, almost twelve, and we went home to our hotel and to bed. But all the time I knew I had seen a very pretty thing. There were about sixty women who did not get their invitations. It was no wonder they never had a letter before in their lives, and the letter carriers never heard of them and they lived in such old alleys and garrets and cellars they could not be found but the next day i made a list of all these and put it in all the papers of the city and it was told to them and they came to our old workrooms a few days afterward and we gave them their purses when it was all done we came back to karlsruhe 
one of the first days of January, and I have been here ever since. I had a good deal of writing to do, and I suppose I have used my eyes a little too much. I was going over to London directly after leaving Strasburg to stay with Abby and Joseph Sheldon, who are continually writing for me to come to them. I meant to have been there now, but I received a letter on my return from Strasburg from the head of the Boston Committee saying that they had held a meeting after hearing something from me and decided to ask me to take charge of all their unfinished business in France. They see that it is going wrong and beg me to take it in hand, even if I cannot do anything personally to take the oversight of it. I reply to them and will wait for their answers. I thought then it would be nonsense to cross the channel if I must recross to France again in a few weeks, so I decided to remain here until I could finish up on the continent and go to England free. I do long to be free of work once more for a little while. I have been rather busy. I have a little home here in Karlsruhe. I got tired of the hotel and took some small rooms, a little apartment, and furnished it to suit me, rented, and have a little German girl. She was the private waiting-maid of Madame de Mensinger, and I knew her, so I live as independently as I please. I can arrange my living to suit myself better. I can have a beefsteak and baked potato for breakfast and not be driven to a choice between a piece of dry bread and a gallon of coffee, and I can have my dinner at four and not be forced to eat at eight o'clock at night, as is done here. I am sure you have had a great deal of trouble with my things, and so has Lieutenant Westfall. I'm sorry, but can't help it. I want to write the lieutenant, but dare not send him one of my blind letters. I must wait till I can use my eyes again. I am glad you went and visited all the world of Massachusetts. I want to see our old brother Dave more than I can tell, and I think I shall sometime. I don't understand if Ida has left the treasury for all time or on a rest. Is she not well? I'm sorry you wandered about, waiting for someone to carry you from post to pillar. Wait a little, Sal, and we will have a coach and one, and ride when we please. I will have it sent over to you every day, and take a ride on condition that you will promise to come and take tea with me every time, and you shan't wait to be carried somewhere. It was all vexatious and heart-aching. I know it all by experience, so old that it seems to me it must have been a part of another existence, but it wasn't. It was only the first end of this old patched and tangled web. What a good soul-stirring time you had at the convention, didn't you? That was splendid. Shall I ever see something like that, I wonder? What a meeting! How I want to see and know Mrs. Livermore! I don't suppose I ever shall, but I knew her so long ago. What beautiful things she wrote when she must have been so young. No wonder she can speak well. 
I speak very much of these things with the Grand Duchess. She sent for me about a week ago to spend an evening, and she spoke of little else than the progress of women and schools for girls in America. She had evidently been reading something, I presume some German criticism, upon the too liberal spirit of America, and wished to compare notes, I think. I told her all as it was, and I said I believed in special training for all kinds of life, but that I thought it possible to train too much till the original spirit was crushed out and ashes left in the place of coals, and there was danger of Germany's doing this with her great respect for discipline, that I thought them too strict, and that they cramped their people by rules and regulations and hurt many good original minds. This was plain speech for a woman in a plain black gown, without even a ring on her hands, to address to a princess and sovereign. But when I am asked, I answer, let it be where it will. I guess it didn't offend, for she sent me a very pretty letter next morning. I can't think what the dress is that you speak of having made up and washed. I can just recall that I sent something by door, but it couldn't have been anything but a piece from my shelves where we cut for the women. I can't think if it was calico or cotton gingham. I know I wanted to send something good, but he was afraid to take it lest he have trouble at the custom house, and they trouble him about his own things for it. I know we packed his boxes in terrible haste one night after midnight, and I can't think of anything more about them. This was the day, but one before I cleared up in Strasbourg and started for Paris. It wasn't a quite sure thing if one would get there very safely, and so difficult was it that it took three days to do the traveling of one day in ordinary times. But it is better now. This winter is easier than the last was. I have made some friends, and I am not a stranger in Europe any longer, and I have warm friends in Strasbourg, and if I do say it, last week Mr. and Mrs. Bergman came to Karlsruhe to visit us, i.e. Miss Zimmerman and me. I had them to tea with me twice. They were at hotel, in my house and I arranged a visit for them at court. This is, I expect, the first social exchange of visits between a leading French officer and a German court since the war. A gentleman may have visited, but not the ladies. But Mrs. Bergman and the Grand Duchess visited, and better still, the poor woman came over to Germany to visit me. I have made some peace between them if they won't fight again and spoil it all. I will enclose in this one of my invitations to the woman's fate and Christmas tree. Your German letter carrier will read it to you. Now, I think, in mercy to your eyes, I must stop. Don't be troubled about me. My eyes will be well soon. I will be very careful. I know you can't read near all of this, but some may be. Lovingly, Clara. I thought I couldn't write any more, but I find it so funny to write with my eyes shut, 
as if I were playing blind men's buff, that I think I must do another sheet. I was afraid to commence to tell you how nice I thought your picture gallery was. Indeed, I think it was splendid. How could you think of it all? How did you get up your ideas? I laughed till I cried again and again. Indeed, I am not sure, but that hurt my eyes some. I wish you had told me more about it. I wanted all the particulars. I related it one evening at tea at Madame General de Freistadt's, and you should have seen the merriment of those German court ladies. They have a great deal of fun in their heads. They were especially amused at the old hoop and line, as I explained to them our bold president swinging around the circle to gain popularity. Miss Margot has not been initiated into the mystery of your gallery yet, as she is at Lyon with her people, but is expected to return any day now to resume her studies here. I will make her full explanations as soon as she is back. She caricatures me sometimes to her great amusement. She would not be bad help for you on such an occasion as she would be in the seventh heaven if she could do it. No, I didn't think of the 17th of September as being the day of Lake City. How well I remember that day, and how anxious a day it was but, after all, not unhappy. We thought that we had gained so much. Our experiment had not failed, and it did not fail in the end. It accomplished just what you say it did. Our dear boy lived to feel that he had done his work and was ready to go. A little life it was, but full and had in it much more than many another of fourscore and ten. I had not heard of Lizzie Learned's last affliction. Can this be so? Where did Lizzie get such a complication of maladies? And is there anything in the new remedy? I have heard of it. The Grand Duchess asks me about it. Her first maid of honor, Mademoiselle de Sternberg, of whom you must have heard me make mention, is supposed to be dying of a cancer but she also seems to have a multitude of illnesses. I called on her a few weeks ago. She was a mere skeleton, and is too sick now to see any but her nurses. Does Nancy do the work at home, and are she and Uncle John all there are? I cannot think how it would seem there without Bama. Poor, dear, honest, faithful, Christian, guileless Bama who worked faithfully up to the last day without complaint and lay down bravely with the harness of life about her without a murmur do you have much fruit this year i am out of patience with europe i never find fruit here it is always a scarce year they say indeed there was none in all the rhine valley little gnarly apples are two and three cents apiece prunes which are only the plums which grow here dried are fifty cents a pound and i have searched the town over without success for a little dried apple all oranges here are always either sour or bitter 
I have nearly forgotten, but it seems to me that we had better fruit arrangements at home. You see by this that I am quite hungry, don't you? Or I shouldn't write of it. Now I think I have finished for this time. I have let my letter wait two days, and my eyes are better. Ever your sis, Clara. Returning to Karlsruhe, she continued her oversight of American relief for French destitution by correspondence, though still suffering greatly with her eyes. She passed some very dull weeks, very green and shady, with exceedingly long nights. After the acute pain was over, she learned to write with bandaged eyes, and wrote a good deal. Her friends, Mr. and Mrs. Sheldon, were in London, and were not satisfied to have her in Germany alone. They sent her peremptory orders to be ready to accompany them when they came, as they were presently to come down the Rhine. She went with them, left Karlsruhe, visited Strasbourg on her last tour of inspection, and set out for London by way of Paris. On reaching Paris, they encountered an American family by the name of Taylor, friends of the Sheldons, who had just left London for a tour of Italy, and besought Miss Barton to accompany them. Hastily she changed her plans, and after six weeks' travel in Italy, she came to London. She had dropped her diary altogether, and her correspondence with her relatives had nearly ceased on account of her impaired eyesight. But in London she wrote the story of her wanderings to her sister, Mrs. Vassal. The last page is missing, and the letter ends abruptly, leaving her in Venice. The Italian tour was finished, however, and in the early summer she arrived in London. End of chapter 3, part 1